Somehow it's already the final episode of the 16th season. I could have swore we just started a couple weeks ago. Well, I guess time flies when you're scared half to death. Well, don't let the fact that this is the final regular episode of the season get you down. Because we're going out with a bang. I have assembled quite the array of spooky stories, eerie tales and blood-curdling accounts. I have all sorts of goodies ready for you tonight. So sit tight while I push play on this first entry. Chris from Texas. Welcome to tonight's program. Good morning, Derek. This is Chris from Kentucky, Texas, calling with another story. I just heard Carly's story on Season 8, Episode 13 about the car playing the national anthem but what got me was this completely blacked out black windows even the windshield and that reminded me of something when I was a teenager my mom and brother and two cousins we were on vacation going to Disneyland in California and we we're just kind of doing all that area uh, Hoover Dam Vegas but at this moment, we were on our way that way, but we decided we wanted to go through Death Valley. Well, there's a town on the edge, and I mean, it's a bright, sunny day, but when we went through the town, just before you actually get to the valley, they've got a temperature gauge, and it said it's 114 degrees. Of course, a hot day. And that's just there. It gets hotter in the desert. Well, we're driving through for a while and there's no other cars so we want to kind of get a photo so we're in a conversion van so it's got like a suicide doors and whatnot so we me and my brother and my cousins we jump out and my aunt jumps out from the passenger side and we all take a picture my mom goes a little bit further to turn around because we're afraid of parking and blowing our tires because it's hot so we jump out, take our pictures, jump back in, keep going. And a little bit later on, we're just there talking, visiting, and then I just kind of have a funny feeling. So I look look behind, I just see a black vehicle. And I'm like, okay, well, there's somebody finally coming, and they're slowly catching up. I'm looking, it's like, 
there's no license plate on the front. And then keep looking. You can't see through the windshield. It's completely blacked out. So it's just really weird. And because at the time I didn't know of, I mean, I've seen the movie Men in Black, but I didn't really know that was a thing. But I'm just keeping an eye on it. And then next thing I know, we're taking a turn. Well, there's a couple more behind them. And we just kind of keep chugging along, and but they're gaining on us. And next thing we know, to me, it feels almost like between Men in Black and Mirrored Men. Because the three of them, they are three solid black SUVs. Blacked out windshields, windows, everything completely blacked out. No license plate. There, there's not even, you know how vehicles, they say Ford, Chevy, all that. There's not even emblems. It's just absolutely generic. There's nothing on it. No words, no nothing, just black. Well, they pull up behind us maybe about 50 yards behind us and all three of them in unison move over past us and they're all perfectly spaced in between each one and they pass us going at steady speed and then once that third one's behind us all three of them in perfect unison scoot over right back in front of us well we slow down because well that's just plum creepy no license plates, no nothing. So we just kind of slow down a little bit and let them get their distance ahead of us. And uh, that's the first time I've ever seen anything like that, and I've never seen anything like that since. Uh, I'm really enjoying your podcast because it's bringing back a lot of things that I remember, but I just don't think of all that often. So thank you so much for what you do, and take care, and if something ever jars again, I'll remember. Thank you, Chris. Death Valley. Now, believe it or not, Sarah and I were just there last week. We shot up there for a few days of camping between the last episode and this one. Now, that was the first visit for each of us. And that place has been on our bucket list for as long as either of us could remember. And of course, the valley was impressive and beautiful. But I will admit, it wasn't my favorite park we'd visited. At least until the sun went down. The nighttime sky there seems to come alive. But none of that matters now. What does matter is that we did not see a caravan of blacked out cars moving in perfect unison. In fact, most of the cars we saw were driven by tourists that were gawking just as hard as I was. So I started thinking of mundane explanations as to why vehicles of this description would be traveling through that area. And I could only really come up with two that made any kind of sense. The first being that perhaps someone was shooting a film, a TV show, music video, commercial, etc. And perhaps they were filming from a distance, perhaps up on a ridge or in a helicopter hovering nearby. And that's why Chris was unable to see the other end of that activity. But you know this is a national park we're talking about. I can almost guarantee you that the road would need to be closed and there would be permitting and signs and that kind of thing. 
so I'm going to go ahead and rule that explanation out. But my second thought was that perhaps a political figure was headed out there to open a visitor center or something. A governor, a senator, congressperson. That would explain the caravan, and would also explain why there were only three vehicles, noticeably smaller than, say, the president's motorcade. Now, if I knew the dates of this visit, I could probably cross-reference with known speaking engagements in the park. But without that information, this, to me, seems to be the most likely scenario. But let's for a moment assume that it was these infamous men in black that Chris and his family encountered. Let's pretend that's who was in those cars that day. What would they be doing there? What would make them travel to this godforsaken place? Far from... Well, everything, really. Well, I just might have your answer. Thanks to local researcher and YouTube host, M.L. Berman, and his excellent channel, Mojave Mysteries. Our story today takes place up in Badwater, one of the hottest places in Death Valley. And it was here, in the summer of 1949, that two men, Mace Garney and Buck Fitzgerald, were working a small mining claim when something happened that sent them racing into town with a story that was out of this world. Barging into the office of the local newspaper, the Bakersfield Californian, both men stated the following, that while working their small claim, they heard a noise overhead, and looking up, saw a saucer-shaped object pass over at an estimated speed of 300 miles an hour before crashing into the dunes far off in the distance. Running over to check it out, they came across what could only be described as a crashed flying saucer. Carefully approaching the ship, both men were astounded when suddenly a hatch opened and out jumped not one, but two alien pilots. The creatures were described as small and dwarf-like, with huge heads and reptilian skin. Now the two men gave these aliens chase on foot across the salt flat, but were sent back within minutes due to the intense heat and the supposed alien speed. That's when they drove nearly 100 miles to town to report the incident. Little to no investigation followed. And as far as I could tell, life simply went back to normal. No, I don't know if the craft was ever retrieved, or if that debris is still out there. But this could be one reason why the men in black would make their way to such a remote location. Well, that and the constant UFO sightings that continue there to this day. A quick Google search will give you any number of blurry photos of strange lights in the distant, star-filled horizon. But when all this starts to sound like a bunch of nonsense, crashed UFOs, shipwrecked aliens, remember this testimony by a whistleblower last summer. His name is David Grush, and he is a former Air Force intelligence officer. And this is what he claimed in front of a House Oversight Subcommittee. You've stated that the government is in possession of potentially non-human spacecraft. Based on your experience and extensive conversations with experts, do you believe our government has made contact with intelligent extraterrestrials? It's something I can't discuss in public setting. 
If you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. Now, Grush goes on to basically accuse the U.S. government of concealing a program that actively retrieves and reverse engineers downed UFOs, or UAPs, lending a lot of credence to the Death Valley UFO crash story. Now, of course, I'm not making any direct connections here, but I am pointing out a few things and tossing you a ball of red yarn. You can string it up yourself as you see fit. Now folks, this isn't the last that we'll hear about government secrets tonight. But for now, let's move forward. Thank you again, Chris, for sharing the entry. I hope I gave you a few options to ponder. Now folks, real quick, if you have a story you would like to share here on the show, especially those government worker stories, call the hotline at 888-608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-NIGHT. Or record your story on your cell phone and email me the file at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. You know, since it's the end of the season and all, I got a little crazy with my call selection this week. A few of these are a little uh, unconventional. I'll say, including this next one from Sue up there in Wisconsin. Yes, hello. I just saw what they call a Neo Chupacabra, I believe it's uh, pronounced. I saw them about 4.30 today. This is the 25th of May, and I'm in the Yorkville area, which is Highway 20 and Old Yorkville Road, but he was at the back of my property. And when I saw him, I could only describe it as an extremely skinny animal with a tail about twice the length of its body. It stopped and looked at me, and it had cat-like ears, big pointed ears straight up, almost hairless, but it was red and very, very skinny. And it hopped like a kangaroo when it would run. And uh, I just could not figure what it was until I looked on the internet and I saw a picture of it. Somebody did actually get a picture and I saw it on there. My, uh, my name is Sue and I believe uh, it is one of those Neo Chupacabra animals uh, that came out of the Southwest. And I saw uh, what looked like two dead chickens, like it had attacked my chickens, who I let out in the daytime and lock up at night. And all that was left was feathers. And uh, I don't know, you know, if other people in my area have seen this, I'm going to call the neighbor, go over there and ask them if by chance they have seen it at all. But it's very elusive, you know, something that'd be very hard to see. And I didn't have time to get a phone out to take a picture, and it was at a bit of a distance, but very, I mean, close enough that I could uh, easily have taken a picture. But it's exactly like the photo I saw on the Internet. And I tried to um, get a little bit more 
information about it, and I'm having trouble here. Thank you. Thank you, Sue. I don't know if Sue is still having issues with this creature. Hopefully, she can find someone up that way that will take it seriously enough to have a look. And the term Neo-Chupacabra, that's a new one on me. And I suppose it's a clever way to separate the Texas Chupa with the Puerto Rican one. And it'd also make a badass punk band name, if you think about it. Well, you know I'm going to dig into a story like this one. Because it's unusual to receive sightings of a creature that's famously known to roam the plains of Texas, up in the frozen north. But to my surprise, Sue does not have the only sighting of a chupacabra-like creature in America's dairy land. I found an encounter from Elroy, some 140 miles to the northeast, that was reported in July of 2011. And another sighting, closer to Sue's place, this time in Waukesha, only about 30 miles away. In that case, the witness managed to catch a photo of the creature. And the encounter took place all the way back in 2010, making it unlikely, in my opinion, that this is the same animal that Sue saw some 13 years later. And that's when I stumbled upon a video, posted less than a year from Sue's sighting, and also in close proximity, within 30 miles or so. And it seems to show a hairless, skinny, dog-like animal in someone's yard, caught on what looks like a doorbell camera. So hit up the show notes to watch that video, see that picture, and read those reports. And there will be a quiz later. But perhaps you should curb your enthusiasm. If the other creatures sighted and photographed is anything like what Sue saw, I'm saddened to say that it's likely merely a known animal with mange, a small parasitic mite that burrows into the skin of a mammal, dog, a coyote, a fox, and the subsequent irritation causes the animal to scratch and bite its own fur off, resulting in a hairless creature covered in scabby lesions. The many mistake is the infamous chupacabra. Now it's my guess that this is the same thing that Sue ran into that day, last May. But of course I wasn't there, and there are no photographs or video. So I can't say that for certain. But if I were a betting man, you know where my chips are going. Regardless, I hope this helps you, Sue. And I hope whatever it was, it leaves your chickens alone. Thank you again for the phone call. Now, one thing that's been a game changer in my life is Factors Delicious Ready-to-Eat Meals. They make eating better every day so much easier. When I know my week is going to be extra busy, I can rely on Factor to make sure I have two-minute restaurant-quality meals waiting for me in the fridge. I can even take them on the go if I need to, which saves me from eating unhealthy and expensive takeout. Factors meals are perfectly portioned, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved They offer over 35 options each week, including keto, calorie-smart, veggie, vegan, and more. Every Factor meal I've had so far was delicious, and I'm a pretty tough food critic. 
I've really been blown away by the quality. And it tastes even better, knowing that I didn't have to shop, prep, cook, or clean up. And they even have breakfast, snacks, smoothies, and plenty of other customizable options. You can change up your order each week, as well as pause or reschedule deliveries anytime. Head to factormeals.com forward slash MAU50 and use code MAU50 to get 50% off. That's code MAU50 at factormeals.com forward slash MAU50 to get 50% off. Now, as always, supporting our sponsor supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to that object that just flew across your room. Now, picture yourself in a long abandoned building. Rubble, trash, and deterioration all around you. You walk down a long corridor, exploring, following your flashlight's beam as it steadies on something moving. Something that shouldn't be there. Cameron from New Jersey. Welcome to the show. Hey, Derek. It's uh, Cameron. I'm calling from New Jersey. First off, I just want to say I recently found your show, and I've been loving it. I've been listening to a lot at work. It's helping me get through the day. But as for the story, ever since I heard about your podcast, I knew it would be a perfect place to talk about this. This happened around four-ish years ago, maybe five. It's been a while, but it's vivid in my mind, and I'm never going to forget this. It was around midnight when me and a couple buddies were out and we were looking for something to do, and one of them decided to go to a place called Historic Walmford. In our friend group, this is a, well, at least now is, a well-known place of being haunted. In the daytime, it's one of those old-fashioned towns that had little plaques on every building where you do tours, and they talk about the history of the place and what happened there and who used to own it. And it's one of those places that specifically give off that creepy vibe on daytime like if you turned around you'd think it's someone staring you from the top window it specifically gave that off because i've been there the daytime but as for the story when we were out there at night we walked through and we were walking down the path it was a dirt path where people were specifically allowed to drive on in the daytime or even at night to cut through you can't do that anymore for reasons that you will learn soon (laughs) but we were walking down, and we ended up going to one of these buildings. We walked up the stairs, and one of my buddies was trying to look through the window. He had his phone light on, and he was trying to see inside. Mind you, on the dirt path that leads to each building, there are, like, these little light posts above them that in the daytime or, or even at nighttime, they would be on so people could drive through, but since no one drives through anymore, they're always off. When I looked to the right, uh, when my buddy was looking through the, the window, I saw all the lights were off on the street but i looked back at him to see how he was doing if he saw anything cool he said not yet and when i looked back at the road i noticed that one of the lights were now on and below it was what i can describe as a black silhouette of a person and even though there's no details you can tell whatever it was was looking at us and it was curious what we were doing So after I saw this, I nudged my buddies to look where I was looking, and we all collectively agreed to run. Immediately, we ran back down the path to the car, and when we got inside, we drove off, and we vowed to never come back again. But 
we had another person that wanted to see it, and through a lot of convincing, we decided to come back a second time. I agreed to come back again, only to be the driver, because I did not want to go back in after seeing that, and I agreed only to be sitting outside waiting for them. So they said, that's fine, they need someone to drive anyway. Since there was three of them, my car held five people. So they decided to go in, they had their lights on, they're walking down the path, and I watched them as they disappeared into the darkness. So I was on my phone waiting for them to come back, and I looked up to see they're coming back yet, and I noticed that they were not there yet. They were still inside, I guess, just looking at all the buildings or who knows what they were doing. And as I was turning left to look at the other parts of the building or even to the field, I see that same silhouette that was there the first night staring at me at the fence. It didn't cross the fence, but it was looking at me, and it was just waiting for me and no one else. It ignored everyone else. And when I saw this, I froze, and I was just having this staring contest with this thing. And I, I immediately snapped out of it, and I put the car in reverse, and I drove away. And I told them to call me when they were done, because I explained after why I left, and they weren't upset when they heard it. But I think that's probably the freakiest thing I've ever experienced to this day, I've never gone back there, not even in the daytime. Because if that thing was waiting for me at the fence, then I don't want to know what it would be waiting for me if I went back again, especially alone. I try to tell my friends these stories, but no one believed me because they were all skeptics, and I can't blame them for that. But I thought maybe you guys would appreciate this story. So hopefully you can use it. Uh, thanks again for having me and hearing my story. I love your show, man, and I hope everyone stays safe. Right, bye-bye. Thank you. All right, Cameron, what are we talking about here? Is this a silhouette of a homeless person that either accidentally scared Cameron or did so on purpose to help protect his makeshift home? Or is this some sort of creature that's taken shelter in the rubble of the old building? After all, that dark shape is synonymous with a slew of Sasquatch sightings. And of course, it could be one of these infamous shadow entities that we hear so much about. The description does fit perfectly. But it doesn't matter that there are a whole handful of explanations for these sightings. Any of them would be a terrifying prospect, paranormal or not. So we thank you for sharing the experience, Cameron. But be careful out there. Sometimes there are scarier things out there than ghosts and Bigfoot. If you can believe such a thing. Now folks, this next one takes us to a place I know quite well. Or at least real close to it. Ian from California. Welcome back to the program. Hi, Derek. My name is Ian. I'm calling from San Diego, California. I have another story. Like I mentioned, I see ghosts all the time. And like I said, it's not like a sixth sense. I see dead people thing. I see them once a year, maybe twice if that. But I have seen them since I was little. Anyway, a couple years ago, I was a warehouse manager for a large retail stores distribution center down along the border. 
And one night I was waiting for a driver. I sent all my guys home and I was waiting for a driver to come pick up a large load. Uh, it was the last load of the day. There was nobody in the building. It was a relatively new warehouse and we were still developing the layout. So I had a 300,000 square foot building that was pretty much empty besides a little bit of product and uh, some racking. So it was a large empty building with giant beams throughout the building for structure. Anyway, I was helping the driver load. He was in my office waiting while I was on the forklift loading pallets for him. Nobody else in the building again. As I was reversing out of his trailer, I looked back behind me in the warehouse and there was a gentleman, looked to be Hispanic, Mexican gentleman with a motorcycle helmet, a black leather jacket and some khakis leaning against the pole and he seemed to be watching me. It startled me, so I made another turn so I could get a better look at him from behind and he was gone. So I knew what I saw, I knew it was a ghost right away. I didn't get scared. I just kind of knew what it was just from my experience because I'm old and rusty and gross. Anyway, I talked to HR the next day. I told HR what happened and they said that, oh, you saw Joaquin. He was a former employee before my time, obviously, that was killed on a motorcycle just outside the building one night when he was working late. So it looks like he was still on shift or something watching me, but he didn't give a bad vibe off and it was cool that I got to confirm, you know, what I've been seeing. I can tell my kids that I'm not a psycho seeing these things and there's actually some merit to it. So really stoked on the Borrego thing. Once again, like I said, I'm from San Diego. I go to Anzabrego all the time, and I'm really into pictographs and petroglyphs and finding old Indian settlements, and I really think the spirituality of it. Anyway, have a good one, bro. Bye. Thanks, Ian. Now, I don't know exactly where this took place, but given the clues, I can tell you it probably didn't occur too far from the soon-to-be-infamous Borrego Triangle. The subject of the documentary, David Flora of Blurry Photos, and myself wrote, produced, and starred in. I bring it up because at long last, the film will be available next week on streaming platforms everywhere. Visit borregotriangle.com, B-O-R-R-E-G-O, and pre-order the film now. Otherwise, on March 5th, you can find the film streaming on Apple TV, Amazon Prime, or a whole heap of other platforms. If you're a Kickstarter backer, your shipments will go out around the same time the film releases, but we'll be emailing you a link much sooner than that. We're working hard to get this stuff out as quickly as possible. We're just waiting on a couple third parties. And don't forget, if you're in Australia next week, visit the Sydney Science Fiction Film Festival in Melbourne on the 25th at 1 p.m. Visit the show notes or borregotriangle.com for more and full details. Also, if you'd like to hear us talk more about the film and the making of, we've been on a number of podcasts lately discussing just that. Bigfoot Collectors Club, Stories with Sapphire, Zeng This, Hysteria 51, Alien Theorist Theorizing, Project Skeptic, Into the Fray, and the Kryptonaut Podcast who coincidentally seem to be all over this episode. And if that's not enough, we have a few more on the books. 
and if you'd like to hear us on your second favorite podcast, after this one, of course, write to them and ask them to bring us on. We'd love to spread the gospel. Now, be sure to check out those podcasts and learn more about The Triangle before the film drops on March 5th. And a huge, huge thanks to each of those shows for allowing us to come on and talk about our upcoming project. Now this next entry takes us to the skies above New Hampshire. Please welcome the following unidentified caller. Hello. I'm going to choose to remain anonymous, but I will say that I live in the Exeter area where the famous Exeter incident happened. And I was just walking home from dinner. And as I walked into my apartment, I noticed out the window that there was this light that was in the sky that was behaving erratically, like it was moving back and forth. It was like white and then it had a small red light sort of attached to it. And I watched it for about, I would say, 45 seconds move around like that. And then I walked outside and I watched it rocket just across the sky at a shocking speed. Um, I would say that it was, oh, I don't know, probably, it was probably traveling lower towards the ground than an airplane typically would. It's currently 8.30 in the evening here. Still light out, the sky is almost completely blue. Yeah, it just, it really shocked me because I wasn't, you know, expecting to see something like that. But it was um, specifically the initial movements or what shocked me was it was moving just back and forth extremely erratically for, I would say, not extremely long, probably about five seconds. And then it started moving across the sky and I watched it. And then I went outside and I watched it. I just wanted to call in and get this down immediately because just so I don't forget it, you know. Anyway, thank you for your time. Goodbye. Thank you, caller. Now, Exeter, New Hampshire is a, another of those towns with a rich paranormal history. They're also one of those towns that has taken advantage of those legends rather than shy away from them. They hold a UFO festival every summer there. For more info on that and the strange encounter that inspired it, here's a clip from WMUR, ABC News 9, out of Manchester. Out of this world fun in Exeter today, the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club hosted its UFO Festival. There you can see some people having a great time showing interest in the event with costumes, fun activities, props. This year, the event marks the 54th anniversary of the so-called Incident at Exeter. There's an interview with the alien that you just saw oh, there. Yeah, <laughs> when 18-year-old Norman Muscarello told Exeter police he saw an unidentified flying object behind a barn in Kensington. So with history like that, caller. There's no telling what you saw that night. Could it have been something revisiting the area? Thanks for sharing the experience with us. I see safe for my friend. Now, this next entry is pretty intense. Especially if you're a fan or have a fear of monsters of a certain pedigree. 
please welcome this anonymous caller out of the show me state of Missouri. Hey, I need to remain anonymous on this one. Southwest Missouri down near Table Rock, Missouri, or Table Rock Lake. There's a campground down here called Big Bay Campground. It's a state-run campground. It has recently been shut down. And in fact, the DNR, Department of Natural Resources, went in and bulldozed the road so people can't go back in there. The state park is still open, but only during daylight hours. You're not allowed to camp out there overnight. A couple friends of mine told me about this, and they told me that the reason they had heard through the grapevine was that it was because of dogman attacks and sightings. Well, uh, I kind of was like, yeah, uh-huh, right, sure. Uh, the official reason given by the DNR was that they said that there was not money in the budget to refurbish the campground, and so they permanently closed it. That does not make sense because they can refurbish the campground and easily pay it off in one season. The campgrounds have always been a big money generator for the state parks. Anyway, I contacted a friend of mine, a relative actually, in DNR, and he agreed to talk to me you know, off the books. And we met at a brew pub. He asked me to leave my cell phone outside in the car, and he left his out there as well. So he was more than just a little bit spooked by the whole deal. He said that the uh, campgrounds had been closed down, and also a couple private campgrounds in the area had been purchased by DNR, and they had been closed down as well. Reason being that, yes, there has been a lot of dogman sightings, there has been a couple encounters, and there has been at least one death. According to him, the state wrote the death off as a drug deal gone bad. They said it was uh, some drug-related incident. But he said that, my contact said that he saw the photos, and he says the uh, person was eviscerated, and a couple of the internal organs had been ripped out and presumably eaten. He said he had never seen sort of drug encounter where the heart and liver were gone. Anyway, Southwest Missouri, down near Shell Knob, Missouri, uh, on Table Rock Lake, big Bay Campground. Thanks. Thanks, caller. It was just last week that I shared a bunch of Bigfoot lore that was produced by the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. So, here we go again. Table Rock Lake, that's down there near Branson. And I did a little digging on the area and learned a couple of things. For starters, the caller is correct. The campground is closed. But the nearby boat launch and picnic area remains open. So if there's a killer creature on the loose, you'd think those would be shut down as well. But then again, as our caller mentioned, all of this is day use only. Now I was able to find a lot of deaths for this area, but most seem to be from boating accidents. And one person was unfortunately killed when a tree fell onto her camper. But nothing out there about savage animal attacks. Well, except for this. A southwest Missouri man has died from injuries he suffered in mid-November when he said he was attacked by a pack of dogs. The Springfield News Leader reports 85-year-old Werner Vogt of Rogersville died Friday at a hospital. Vogt told officers he was attacked while bike riding on November 12th in a heavily wooded area southeast of Rogersville in Christian County. A grandson found him barely conscious on the road. 
Christian County Sheriff Brad Cole says he's asked a wildlife expert in Florida to examine photos of folks' severe wounds to determine what type of animals attacked Vote. Cole says no one has reported seeing any packs of dogs in the area where Vote was attacked, and officers who canvassed the area did not find a pack of dogs. That clip on behalf of KOMU, NBC News 8, out of Columbia. So if they, the DNR, local or state government, whoever it may be, are trying to hide the fact that an upright dog or wolf-like creature prowls the lands of southern Missouri, then they're doing a great job because I was not able to find much at all from that area. But it doesn't mean there aren't strange things afoot down there. If you have any insight or perhaps an experience yourself, give us a ring, 888-608-NIGHT. And thank you again, caller, for the entry. Now, folks, don't forget to visit our merch shop as a way to not only look super fly out there, but to support the show as well. Visit our website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click the shop tab. We have all sorts of goodies there to get your hands on. Now this next entry takes us to Ohio. Malachi, welcome to the program. Hey Derek, my name is Malachi. I'm from Mutual, Ohio. It's a little tiny town, population of like 126, I think. Anyway, I was listening to the boys over at Kryptonaut, and they were talking about this uh, Australian trooper that's seen these two guys that look exactly the same. And I heard your name and podcast come up, and I was like, well, I need to check that out. So anyway, I used to work night shift, uh, really weird shift. I got off at 3.30 in the morning. And uh, I'm driving home, and it's super foggy outside. Really, really, really foggy. And uh, I had this huge lifted Jeep. I have the top off light bar on you know and I look over at the side of the road and there's these three guys walking they have like I, I don't really know how to describe it like um black robes on weird looking robes like I don't know man like a monk so you know I'm a metalhead. I'm like oh this is pretty cool so I'm gonna stop talk to these guys see what they're doing you know I was probably listening to some black metal crazy band at the time driving home and I noticed that they're all three it's the weirdest thing ever. It's like almost like watching like a like a military formation. They're all stepping at the same time. Both feet are hitting the same time. The arms are moving the same time. And as I like slow my jeep down and I, I, I pull up next to them, I look and I can't really make out a face. I, I, I can't really make out anything. But they all three look at me at the same time. Uh, uh, the next thing I know, it's like 11 a.m. the next day. I, I don't remember how I got home, I don't remember the rest of the drive, which, you know, I can chalk that up. Sometimes driving that late at night, I would get tired and almost doze off. But uh, hearing about the Mirrored Men really creeped me out, man, because uh, I think I've seen some. Uh, anyway, thank you for your time. Bye. Thank you, Malachi, for that Mirrored Man entry. We simply couldn't close out the season without one last story about this terrifying trio. And quite the interesting one this was. Is this the first run-in with these things that occurred in a moving vehicle? I'm racking my brain trying to think of another and I simply cannot. If so, that's certainly a unique detail 
Now, it's hard to say for sure if this was a quote-unquote genuine encounter with the infamous mirrored man, but almost all the hallmarks are there. Three figures that look alike, that move alike. The encounter took place in a rural location, and somehow, whoever or whatever they were, they had the ability to affect and or warp time itself. The only thing that I noticed that was missing would have been strange or unusual weather. I don't think that omission is enough to throw this claim out with the bathwater. So we'll add it to our list of data points, Malachi. We certainly appreciate you calling it in. Oh, and if you want to hear more about the mirrored man or hear the strange story that Malachi referenced in his call, tune in to Season 7, Episode 15, or Season 15, Episode 7 of this show to learn more. Okay, I have a couple more calls to share with you this evening, beginning with one that covers a phenomenon that we don't get to touch on all that often. From Parts Unknown, please welcome Riley to tonight's program. Hi Derek, my name's Riley, and this happened to me when I lived in Maryland. I was probably around nine. A few years before that, my parents built a house in the very far back of this like brand new neighborhood. Okay. So we didn't have any neighbors for like a while and we finally got some neighbors and we lived on like seven acres in the very far back of this neighborhood. So me and my dad had gone adventuring, you know, out on our property. We actually found this weird like little cabin thing And it had all this political stuff from a governor that was running in, like, the 20s or something. So, like, 1920s. So, yeah, it was, like, that was weird. But anyways, so my neighbor finally moved in, and they had girls that were, like, my age. And one day, me and my new neighbor friend, we decided to go explore our property. So we went back and... My backyard kind of backed up to this like hill that went downwards and at the bottom there's a stream. And then on the other side of the stream, it like goes back upwards. So like, it's like at the bottom of like a, I would say like a gully, I guess. And so, yeah, so we were following the stream, you know, did our exploring, whatever, gathered some rocks and some plants and stuff. And okay, we decided to head back towards my house. So we followed the stream back and we were about to come upon where my house should be. And when you're by the stream, you could look up and see where my house was. And it wasn't there. Like, unexplainably, my house just straight up was not where it should be. And I was like, what is going on? So we walk up the hill where my house should be and there is nothing. But I can recognize the land that should be where my house is like there were hills and stuff that I recognized but like my house wasn't there and we were just perplexed it was so weird I can still like remember how it felt it just felt like some sort of time slip or something there were trees everywhere like it wasn't cleared or anything like that and it was just a bizarre feeling so 
Then we go back down the hill, like we're to the stream because we know that that's there. And we are just like, okay, let's walk a little bit farther, maybe. I don't know. And so, yeah, we walked a little bit farther, still can't see my house, still cannot find it. And so we start to kind of panic. And so we are like, okay, maybe somehow, some way, we're supposed to walk up the other side. Like, we're supposed to cross this little stream. It's very small. But so, like, jump across the stream and go up the other side of the hill. Maybe somehow, some way, that will be right. So we did that. We walked up the other side of the stream. And this is where it gets even weirder. We walk up the hill and we enter into another neighborhood. But somehow it's different. It feels different. It looks different. The sun is brighter It wasn't like an overcast day or anything, but the lighting was somehow different. And it was, this sounds so weird, but it was like a quintessential like 1950s neighborhood. There were those big, gigantic 1950s cars. People were like push mowing their lawns in like a polo type of shirt, like a collared shirt waving at people. There were women in dresses. I remember specifically one was like walking with their, like pushing their baby in a baby carriage, like one that, like a pram type of thing. And they had those 1950s dresses on and there were just a lot of people out and about like talking to each other, waving to each other. And it was so weird. So we kind of like ran back down the hill because we were kind of like coming up into someone's like backyard or their side yard. And there was like a road that I guess went around this neighborhood or whatever. So we ran back down the hill and we were like, what is going on? Something is really, really off there. It's something feels weird. And we just felt it. It was very palpable. I said the sky was brighter. It felt like the air was somehow different, like electrified a little bit, something was off. So we ran back down the hill, back to the stream. And we said, okay, let's try it again. Let's just go up this side because we know that there are people there. And I don't know. We didn't really know what else to do because I was like, I'm not living in these woods forever. So anyways, we ran up the hill again. And this time... It was completely different. And we were in the same spot. It was completely different. The neighborhood was like the electricity in the air went away. The light went back to normal. And it was just normal houses. But it was still recognizable as what we saw just moments before. But there was no one out doing anything. It just felt normal. And we went up to a house and we knocked on the door And it was this older woman, this like kind of grandma-ish type of woman. And we just kind of explained like, hi, we were just exploring and we got lost and we were wondering if you could use our, like if we could use your phone. And she thankfully allowed us to use her phone. And we called my mom. She came and got us. And I told my mom this story later that night, like after we had dropped my neighbor friend off at her house. And 
my mom, she just kind of nodded. And my mom's like really into paranormal stuff and everything. And we didn't really go into it then. But recently she just started talking to me about it. And she says that I definitely experienced some sort of time slip and that we lived on like an Indian burial ground, basically. So that's great. But yeah, just wanted to call in and thanks so much for all that you do. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thank you, Riley. Now that's a fun little story and conjures up all sorts of spooky scenarios. I first think of all the missing people that walked a few feet into the forest and simply disappeared. Now I'm wondering if they too stumbled upon some sort of gateway that resulted in a time slip. And unlike Riley and her friend, they weren't able to make their way back out. Now there aren't a ton of examples out there of this sort of incident. But the few that are, are pretty good. And if I'm honest, Riley, yours would fit easily into that list. Incredible stuff. So thank you again for sharing it here on the show. Now, folks, for tonight's closer, and truth be told, this one was supposed to play in last week's secret story slot, but when Delaney returned the research on it, I realized I needed more time to dive into this bad boy. Please join me in welcoming Amanda from the state of Ohio. Hey, Derek, this is Amanda from Ohio. I live in the middle of nowhere near a General Electric testing facility. Anyone who's familiar with the area will probably know around about where I live, but we moved here a couple years ago. And ever since then, I have seen things that I have never before seen in my entire life. There are all sorts of rumors about the testing facility, all sorts of speculation and stuff. I just know they do a lot of aviation testing and it's all very secretive. I don't know if this fits in with everything because I don't know if it's really paranormal, but it's definitely really strange. So the first thing that I have witnessed is it would have been last year in the summer and it was a really clear day outside. There weren't really any clouds and there were some jets flying over. We have a lot of jets that fly over from the testing facility and, you know, sometimes I like to watch them. So I was outside and I was just standing there watching them. There were two. I think the one had one off somewhere and I was specifically watching one of them and didn't look away, didn't blink, didn't do anything. And it just disappeared. I never saw it again. I could still hear it, but I couldn't see it anymore. Like I said, I didn't look away, didn't blink. One minute I saw it, and the next second it was just absolutely completely gone. And I've never seen anything like that before or after. And then a second thing was one night me and my husband were sitting out on our deck, and it was a clear night, and we can see lots of stars, and there's no light pollution or anything. And we were sitting out on our deck, and all of a sudden we see some light flying. We would see one flash of light, and then a few seconds later, a little ways next to it, we would see another flash of light. And then a little ways next to it, a few seconds later, we saw another flash of light. And it was always three flashes of light. And they just looked like orange flashes. I don't know, like it would take maybe two or three seconds. They would fade in and then kind of fade out a little bit. 
and they were directly in a row. We couldn't hear anything. There was no sound from them. And then it would be a few minutes later, and we would see them in a completely different part of the sky. Like one time we saw them on our right, and then a couple of minutes later we saw them on our left. I said we couldn't hear anything. So it was just really strange. Again, I have never seen anything like that before, and I haven't seen anything like that after. There's been just several things that are just really strange since we moved here, and I assume that it's probably military testing and military technology, but I've just I haven't heard anything about, you know, deaths that disappear and, and weird lights in the sky, but so I don't know what it is, <laughs> but hopefully you can use this and I love your podcast and thanks. Bye. Thanks, Amanda. I suppose I'm not much of a paranormal expert, quote unquote, because I was not aware of either the testing facility or the supposed activity that surrounds it. And that place was right in my backyard for nearly half my life. And not to sound bold, but if I didn't know, I'm going to assume you didn't either. So let's back up a bit and get the history on this location. First off, there are two General Electric Research and Development Centers in Southern Ohio. One in Dayton, near Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, northeast of Cincinnati, about 50 miles and one in Peebles, Ohio, southeast of Cincy, about 70 miles. Now I threw a few links up in the show notes if you need proof that these installments do exist. But this little news snippet from WCPO, ABC News 9, out of the Queen City, does a lot to put all that into perspective. Where's the secret underground bunker that has the, the, the alien technology you guys are pulling from it's here? It's right over there. <laughs> Cole Massey has a good sense of humor about the secrecy behind GE Aviation history. The F-117 stealth fighter was one of many secret projects. And most GE employees had no idea that an engine that was made at their facility was the power behind those jets. They, project, could, they yeah. couldn't know. GE got its roots in military aviation, and that secrecy began all the way back in 1918 with this turbo supercharger. World War II bombers wouldn't have been able to do what they did Correct. without this. Correct. This allowed them to go higher and maintain that power at altitude. Success in the war meant more secret contracts and requests for more efficient technology, which brings us to today. Now, it's well known that these development centers have produced some of the most powerful engines on the planet. These units are used in a number of commercial jets and a secretive number of military aircraft, including the F-15 and the F-16. But despite the fact that these powerful engines are created there, it's claimed by the officials at these testing facilities that all testing is done on the ground. They adamantly deny any aircraft is being tested in the area under their supervision. But as many in the area claim, and as you heard with Amanda, that's not what residents are saying about the area. Claims of strange lights and objects in the sky, government interference, and men in black have been reported. Primarily in the 90s. The area became so infamous with strange activity that people there started referring to it as Ohio's Area 51. In fact, the activity ramped up so much that one of my all-time favorite television programs even made a visit. 
This segment aired on the television program Sightings in June of 1997. Kenny Young is a member of TASC, Tri-State Advocates for Scientific Knowledge. He thinks the UFOs may be coming from a remote General Electric testing facility south of Chillicothe. Adams County is the most remote and desolate part of Ohio. It also houses the facility that we call Ohio's Area 51, which is the GE facility located within the Peach Mountain Range. Um, it's very desolate, very remote. Very few people are there from which to see something that would be tested. The Peebles facility claims that all GE jet engines are tested on the ground, never in the air or attached to secret aircraft. GE does not deny that there is a facility there. It's just uh, immersed in secrecy to the point where nobody really knows exactly what is being tested. Is this a secret military project, a re-engineered flying saucer? Or is Chillicothe's proximity to Wright Pat and GE a red herring, throwing ufologists off the extraterrestrial track? Ohio's Area 51. Now it's so wild that I grew up so close and never heard about this place. I must have missed it completely or forgotten about this particular episode of the show or something. And speaking of nostalgia, not only did we stumble upon the sightings coverage, but we also found a transcript of an exchange legendary paranormal radio host Art Bell had with a caller about that particular area and how it's essentially set up to reverse engineer crashed saucers. I've linked to that transcript in the show notes. Now from what I gather, this activity still continues to this day. And strangely enough, my dad, who only lives about 115 miles away, as the crow flies, calls me often to tell me about strange lights he's seen above his house on a regular basis. Now for a while, I was starting to think he was losing it, but giving this information, now I wonder if he might be onto something. Now that's about all I have for this one, but I'll leave you with this one final thought. Having grown up in Ohio, I've obviously spent a ton of time there, and I can tell you that it might be sparsely populated. But as far as population goes, that area doesn't hold a candle to parts of California and Nevada. So if you were going to test top-secret, reverse-engineered UFO technology, why do it in a place that's sparsely populated when you can do it in a place that's not populated at all? But maybe that's exactly what they want me to think. Thank you again, Amanda, for the amazing tale from back home. Now that's pretty much going to do it for this final regular episode of the season. I want to thank you all for swinging by. I can only trust that you had a spooky good time. Now I'll catch you back here in two weeks with a brand new installment. The season 16 finale. The latest hometown legends special. Now as usual, I'm taking next week off to prepare. But be sure to check back because I'll release some beyond content to hold you over. But until then, Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Copyright Red Crow Media. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Bowers. Please follow us on social media 
YouTube, and leave us a rate and review wherever possible. Catch the show every Saturday night at 11 p.m. Eastern on the Unax Digital Network. And finally, tonight's score was provided by Co.ag Music, Armchair Ambiance, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for keeping it spooky. And I'll see you in a couple weeks. secret entry is super weird. Super weird. So without further ado, please welcome Tony from Parts Unknown. Hi Derek, my name's Tony Woodruff and I just recently started listening to your show and the Mirrored Men episode got me remembering a time and hopefully someone else has experienced something similar as the Mirrored Men episode. I was probably seven or eight years old, and we were camping on the Fleming Gorge Reservoir. It was a really bad rainstorm. Everybody was inside the campers, and I was sitting at the camper at the kitchen table, and I remember looking out, watching the rain, and then I began to see it was like a glimmering line about midway up from the skyline, and the top of the water and as I watched there was a giant eye that opened and when I say giant it was I don't even know the scale but it was very large I opened looked around winked a few times closed and then vanished I could still see the whole event vividly to this day and I'm now 35 about to be 36 I was just wondering if maybe someone else out there has had a similar experience. It's still to this day I see it, and it kind of shakes me to my core to think about it even today. Thanks, Derek. Great show. I'm going to be a binge watcher from now on. Have a good one. Thank you, Tony. Now, I can't say I understand the mirrored men connection here, but I do think this story is extremely strange. Though I will admit, I'm a little confused as to where the eye actually came from. Did it pop out of the water? Come into view in the sky? Something else altogether. Maybe I missed it. Or maybe Tony's listening and can clear it up. Either way, I love the subject matter. And like most of these secret entries, I've never heard anything like it before. So thank you again, Tony for sharing. Now folks, walk this way to the beyond. 
the after show that allows a select few, a group I call the Monster Squad, to explore just a few more calls each week before we call it a night. To join us for free, just visit patreon.com and search for Old MAU. Sign up for that $1 level to get all the shows ad-free. Hit up that $5 level to get instant access to the entire back catalog. It has to be around like 110, 115 hours by now. To join, just visit our website, monstersamonguspodcast.com, and click that Patreon tab to hear terrifying entries, like Michelle's from Ohio. Again. Hey Derek, this is Michelle from Ohio calling again with another story. I've called in a couple times now. Um, This story actually just happened yesterday. So before I begin, I did want to give some props to Addie Lloyd. We were talking on Facebook the other day and I told her what had happened and she encouraged me to call in because she thought this story was, in her words, fascinating. So... Two nights ago, I had a dream that my mom and her two sisters, Mary and Kathy, were going to get together. And mom and Kathy were at our old house in Illinois, and Mary was on her way there. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.